0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, I started a sermon series last week called How to Hear from God, and um, that's just something that's on my heart for this season. I feel like it is the most important thing that God can do in your life is teach you how to hear from him. Actually, it's the apex, I think it's the top, it's the peak of our existence as humans is to learn how to hear from God, to learn how to hear the voice of God. And of course, preaching you know, is is a part of that, but it's a very small part actually. God has so much more to say to you than I can spit out in 45 minutes here on a Sunday. And I'm telling you, man, if you can learn how to hear from God, I would, I would happily, like, um, as a church, we, 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 we do many things, right? We bless the community. We do our Keep Kids Fed ministry. We feed over 100 kids every weekend because we, we really have a heart for the community. But honestly, even bigger than our heart for the community um, is my desire that you learn how to hear from God. Um, I, would, I would cancel the, the Keep Kids Fed program if it would mean that you all could learn how to hear from God. I, I, like That's just how important it is to me. It's more, important, it's more important than even new people coming and sitting in these seats. What's more important is that the people who are currently in the seats learn how to hear from God. Because if all we do is pack people into a room and they hear from God for 45 minutes on Sunday morning and they go back to their everyday lives and they don't learn how to hear from God for themselves, we are not actually growing the kingdom of God. We're not actually building the church. We are building a social club of people who like to hang out together on Sundays. And so uh, as much as I appreciate you coming and I, I love that we're here and it's fun and it's great and it's inspiring, but at the same time, you have to hear from god for yourself and this is not something that god commands us to do right god is speaking to us uh, but i feel like oftentimes we are not on the same frequency we're not able to hear from him and so over the next several weeks i don't know how long it's going to take we're going to talk about different ways that god speaks to us and today i want to talk about the most basic way i suppose the the first way the primary way that god speaks to us which is it through his word his bible uh, this, this book right here, this Bible, is the primary way that God speaks to us. And we are going to talk about um, visions and dreams, premonitions and promptings, open doors and desires in our hearts. We're going to be talking about those things because God speaks through those things as well. But this book, the Bible, is the primary, it's the foundation. It's the main way that we learn to hear from God. It's the way that you can distinguish between a spiritual dream and the pizza that you ate last night. Like that's how you figure it out is with this word. God doesn't ask us to sit around and mystically just hope and feel things that he's saying to us. He has spoken to us through his word. He has spoken to us through this book. And and the more you fall in love with this book, the more you will understand the voice of God when it actually comes to you. This is like the decoder. This is the way to understand whether it was just your, your head thinking or whether it was the voice of God. It is, it is the word of God, the Bible. And so I have three quick points that I wanna, I wanna talk to you about today. First of all, the Bible must be treasured. And uh, as usual, I spend the most time on my first point, but it's gonna be treasured. And secondly, it needs to be trusted. And thirdly, it needs to be tried. So treasured, trusted, and tried. This is, this is what we're talking about. Um, uh, I first fell in love with the Bible when I was about eight years old. Uh, my mom and dad decided to homeschool my brother and I. And so as a part of our homeschooling, my mom said she wanted me to memorize Matthew chapter 5 word for word. And I think it was the King James back in the day. I think it was the King James. I, was little, I had a little mini King James Bible. And mom said, if you memorize Matthew chapter 5 word for word, I will buy you Super Mario Brothers 2. I don't know if any of you were around in the, some some of you were definitely around in the 80s, Um, and man, Super Mario Brothers, eight bits of of power. Now you're playing with power, is what the commercial said. I mean, I was obsessed. I was six years old when I first got Nintendo. Super Mario Brothers was amazing, and then Super Mario Brothers 2 came out, and that's where Luigi, he jumps and his legs do the super spin thing, and he kind of goes further, you know, and the princess floats, and I mean, it was it was amazing, and so my mom said, "Look, if you memorize Matthew chapter five, I'll go buy this this game for you." And so, man, I I, I jumped in, I started memorizing word for word King James Bible, uh, Matthew chapter. Five. And and so I was I was actually telling uh, my daughter about this. Um, she just turned nine, Madden, and we were talking about this back in January. And I said, honey, look, I really want you to memorize Matthew chapter 5. And I told her the story of me. And uh, because Matthew chapter 5, for those of you that don't know, it's, part, it's the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all Jesus's words. It's the longest recorded sermon in the Bible that we have from Jesus. And so it's pretty good to memorize the greatest sermon ever told, right? And so I said, honey, I really want you to memorize this. And she said, well, what will you give me if I memorize it? I said, honey, look, I'll give you a hundred dollars. I'll give you a hundred dollars because to me, it's well worth a hundred dollars. If, if, if she can, because it's the word of God. And as you memorize it, it took me a long time. As you memorize it, like it gets down inside of you, start to understand this Jesus that we're talking about. For many of us, Jesus is a mystery, and he's this random kind of weird thing out there, but, but he, is, he, is, he is actually in here, and you can, you can learn about him and what he likes and what he doesn't like and how he is. And and so as you memorize his words, you begin to understand who he is, and his words stay in you. And so to me, it's well worth a hundred dollars. We spend more than that on their birthday party, you know, and and they don't that that doesn't do anything for them. But man, for 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 a hundred dollars to get the word of God inside of Madden, I said sure, definitely. And so so this is in the morning. I go to I go to work, go to the office. I come back later on in the afternoon, and Madden says, Daddy, Daddy, I memorized the first seven verses of Matthew chapter five. And so she spits it out to me, and she got one word wrong. And I said, Okay, now you need to work on that because you miss the the here and you can't just drop out the's you know Uh, and so you know I was just you know motivating that's that's my gift is motivation and so um, she she but she she was proud of herself we're talking over dinner and she said dad how long did it take you to memorize Matthew chapter 5 and I said well it took me about nine months I think it was like kind of the whole school year about nine months she said that's a long time I said it's a long chapter 48 verses she said, well, I already memorized seven verses in the first day. And she started doing the math as to how long 48 is going to take. And I said, look, until, you, until you've done what I've done, you cannot critique how I did it. That ought to be a sermon title right there. That, that's a good Memorial Day sermon. Until you've been in a foxhole, keep your opinions to yourself about the foxhole. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what it's like to be there. That's a whole other, I guess that's a, for another day. But I said, you, come on, you're fresh out, fresh out of college self, going to tell me about, no. So I said, look, look, it, it is a long time, and I know just how long that is, because nine months, I'm working on this thing. You got seven verses in, when you get all 48 verses, then we'll talk. And so now, after five months, she has memorized eight verses of Matthew chapter five. <laughs> so only 40 more to go. Let's do the math on how long that's going to take. Just saying. I was, I was preaching the first service and, and uh, I had this thought just studying this and, and thinking about this story last night that um, paying Madden $100. And, and so I even threw this out there. For all of you, if, if, if you guys, will, if somebody in here will memorize Matthew chapter 5, I'll give you $100 um, to spit it out word for word to me. Um, you know, some legitimate version, not the message. It's got to be an actual like version of the Bible, not a paraphrase, you know. So, but if you if you'll memorize it, uh, I'll take my Starbucks money because I didn't ask Roe about this first. So I, it comes from my Starbucks. I'll go to Dunkin' Donuts for a month for you to memorize. For you to memorize Matthew chapter five. That's how much. That's how much I'll sacrifice. That's how much I'll sacrifice. Dunkin' Donuts. It's like McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, making it at home. Uh, it's a little bit better, a little bit better. All right, so, so, but it's, it's something to be valued. And honestly, I feel like if we're going to treasure this book, we really have to understand the value of it. And this is something that I've learned, is that the Bible is not, it's unlike any other document. It is a living document. I know the Constitution is supposed to be living, but this is a living document in that it reacts to you. It treats you the way that it, you treat it. As the, this is the only book that I know that will, that will act toward you the way that you act toward it. And that's actually what it says in the book of Proverbs, talking about wisdom. Wisdom says, I love those who love me and hate those who hate me. It sounds kind of crass, but this is what I've noticed, is that if, if, if you neglect this, it will neglect you. If you let it collect dust, when you actually pick it up and read it, you'll read dust. And it'll be like, oh, this really isn't. It'll, it'll treat you, how if you love this, it will love you. If you value this, it will value you. The worth that you place on this will be reflected in the worth you feel from it when you read it. And so for many people, the starting point is just simply to treasure this book. I don't know if you have an actual physical Bible or you may have an app or you may have the City Chapel app where where there's an audio Bible. But when when you love it, it loves you back. It's the only book that approaches you in the same way that you approach it. If you're reverent toward it, it'll be reverent toward you. If you hate it, if you're angry at it, if you are constantly trying to find faults in it, you'll find that it constantly finds faults in you. If you pick it apart, it will pick you apart. And you will eventually be left saying, half of this thing I don't even believe anymore. Because it's reacting to you. It, it loves those who love it, and it hates those who hates it. And so to treasure this book is so important. To foster a value of it in our kids is important. And for many of us, we were, just, we, we were born into church or some kind of religion where, where we were told this is the Word of God, and this is, this is inspired Scripture, and we just need to believe it. And for, so for many of us, we just took that at face value. But for some of us, we don't value it because we really have a lot of questions about it. So today I want to do a little different preaching st- style. I'm not going to be preaching as much uh, as much as I'm going to be teaching just for a few minutes. Um, preaching is when you're spitting. Um, teaching is when you're talking. So uh, that's the difference there. Uh, but I just want to get some knowledge into your head because I feel like we, we oftentimes lack the knowledge to really truly appreciate this thing. Like it's just always been there. Right? Like maybe it came down from a cloud, landed on somebody's desk someday thousands of years ago. Maybe that's how it arrived here. We don't, it's like the origins of it are kind of mystical to us. And so a lot of modern skepticism about it kind of hits us and we say, yeah, I don't really know if I can trust this book. And so if we're going to treasure it, we have to understand where it came from. We have to understand that the whole Old Testament, which is uh, the first 39 books of the Bible, uh, in your Bible, the first 39 books were all written by Hebrews, uh, written in uh, within a nation of of Hebrews. Uh, it's a nomadic tribe. It was a nomadic tribe in the Middle East, and uh, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's credited for that. Now we don't have any of the original manuscripts of the Old Testament. Um, that's because nobody has any original manuscripts from anything written that long ago. About we're talking about 2,800 years ago is when it's supposedly written uh, because one their 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 paper that they wrote on was faulty. Uh, they didn't have paper like we have. They had. Um, all kinds of different tools actually. Uh, you know, went through the, the, the bronze and, and they would chisel some things. Um, and then finally they developed the um, papyrus paper, which is reeds from the Nile that are dried out, rolled out and dried out and pressed and then sewn together. And that's the main way that a lot of the, the, the texts that we have have been passed down to us. But the problem is papyrus, because it's, it's a plant, I mean, it dries out. And the more it dries out, the more crumbly it gets and the more it falls apart. And after 1,000 years or 2,000 years in the Middle East with no air condition, with no ability to preserve it, um, there are no documents that are that old that are still preserved from antiquity because they just don't exist. It's impossible to maintain them. They didn't have the technology of the, in that day to maintain them. Uh, what we do have, though, are scribes. We have people who have been copying Things. Now they didn't have printers, and so uh, the way that you make a copy to preserve the Old Testament, the Bible, is through handwriting it all down. And this is a meticulous process. This is a this is a laborious process. Um, just just to give you some context, I think the earliest. Um, passage text that we have is is a complete set of the book of isaiah which was found actually in the dead sea scrolls cache you might have heard of that 1943 i think it was they found a whole bunch of scrolls near the dead sea buried in a cave in some jars and because it was near the salt of the dead sea the atmosphere was so salty that they were preserved and we have our oldest version of isaiah um, dated believed to be dated at 125 bc that's before common era before christ B.C., 125, it's the complete version of Isaiah. Prior to that, the oldest version we had was like 900 A.D. Um, so this is about 1,100 years difference. So they were really curious to see how does the, the 125 B.C. Um, version of Isaiah line up with the, the, the 900 A.D. version of Isaiah. How many changes were made as people are handwriting? And they didn't have the invention of glasses at that time. They didn't have electricity, so they're handwriting by candlelight, right? I mean, how accurate are these guys? And what they found is astonishingly, the the, the 1100 years didn't affect hardly anything of those two texts. I think it's like 99.99% accurate. Like one guy missed a comma or something. Like it's just bizarre the um, the accuracy with which. And, and we're ta- a lot of stuff happened, by the way, between 125 B.C. and 900 A.D. in the Middle East, specifically to the Jewish nation. The whole nation got ransacked in 71 A.D. Just read the history of the Romans and what happened. Somehow this document was preserved and passed between, between the hands of different scribes, even when they went into slavery. And it was preserved, and scribes have been sitting down. And this, this takes forever, by the way. A scribe's job is first of all he has to prepare the papyrus. He has to get it ready. He has to. He's seen, he would draw lines up and down to make sure certain that there were a certain amount of letters on each line going this way, and a certain amount of letters on each line going that way. Scribe actually means counter. It doesn't mean writer. It means counter because that was his primary job was to count all of the letters in the Old Testament. So a scribe could tell you that there were let's see, three hundred and four thousand eight hundred and five letters in the Old Testament. The scribe could also tell you which was the middle letter of the Old Testament. This is how they fact-checked it to make sure you did a good translation or trans- transcribing. So they they look they they could tell you the middle letter of each paragraph, they could tell you the middle letter of each book. They counted not only the letters but the spaces between the letters. And when they sat down to write, okay, so first they prepare the the papyri and then they sit down with with their ink. Their ink, they had to grind every day from from this particular nut found in the Middle East, a gall nut. And they they, they ground and that, that created the ink. And then they took the quill dipped it into the runny ink and then they meticulously had to write each word before they wrote the word they had to say it out loud then they write the word then they had to say it out loud again and if any letters touched now you have a runny ink you have no erasers if any letters touched they had to burn the whole document because it would mess up the three hundred and four thousand eight hundred and five letters if two of them are joined and so there's a lot of trashed documents throughout this. this. This could be, you know, multiple years that you spend working on one, one uh, copy of the Old Testament. And for them, this was a part of their worship, though. They were scribes. This was their trade. This is what they did. And they would sit down, and there was, there was 4,000 rules they had to memorize before they could even put ink to paper. Because were, each, of those, each of those 300 and 4,800 and whatever, 05 um, letters, all had to be written in a certain way. You couldn't just write it your own handwriting. It had to be written exactly the same way it had been written before you. And you couldn't even, like you had to be 30 years old before you could even carry the scroll. So they, you come to school to be a scribe, and the first you know, half of your life, you spend learning the 4,000 rules about writing it. When you're 30, they finally let you carry the master scroll from one room to another. That's the kind of reverence they had for it. And every time they wrote the name of God, which by the way, appears several times in the Old Testament, every time they wrote, before they wrote it, they would get up and take a ritual bath, and then they would write it. And with each letter that they would write, they would, they would pray a, a ritual prayer acknowledging the greatness of the name of God and then after they were done writing it they would, they would take another bath some scholars say they would throw away the pen that wrote it, the, the quill or others say they had to thoroughly clean it I'm not really sure but either way, that's going to take a while <laughs> and if you get the wrong swerve on the name of God the whole thing's done the whole document's done you have to throw it away that's why when they, when they looked at 1,100 years of copy after copy after copy after copy, it was exactly the same. Because these guys, like, when, when you start understanding the kind of value that has been put in to this book, it's amazing. So, you know, it, it, that, that's, that, that, but that's why it's so disrespectful when somebody comes out of a blog, tweet, Facebook culture, you know, and they're like, well, I read this on Facebook the other day. And I'm like, really? Like, who, who sat down and copied that for a few thousand years? Like, I mean, sure, it's nice, it's cute, the little meme with the cat and all that stuff, I get it. But, like, for real, you're going to base your theology, you're going to sit and sip your overpriced Austin espresso and tell me that this thing that's been passed down for thousands of years from thousands of people with such meticulous nature is just just nothing. It's just it's just should be thrown out and it's probably full of errors and there's probably all kinds of mistakes and it's written by humans, you know, and those guys are all just male chauvinists, and it's not applicable to our time. And man, long after Facebook is in the dustbin of history along with MySpace, this book is still going to be the same way that it was. And it's still going to be grounded. What I love about this book is it doesn't change. You change. I change. But no matter how I change or how I grow, I come back to this book and it speaks to me where I am at. It's the power of this book. It's the reason why scribes would give their entire lives, bending over by candlelight as their eyes are wearing down and they're trying to figure out exactly how to draw that letter. It's the reason why they spent years and years and years of their life to preserve it and pass it down to us. And I think that's worth valuing. I think that's worth treasuring. I think that's worth saying, man, this thing must be pretty, pretty valuable. Jesus even uh, attested to the value of the Old Testament. Some people think the Old Testament doesn't count because it's the Old Testament. Um, unlike iPhones, some old things are still good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Unlike, but this is a problem with the iPhone blog culture. We just burn through stuff. And we're get, adopting new ideas and new thoughts, and in our, in our, in our country even is in an ideological transition like a, constantly, all the time. And we think that's just the way it is, but it's not the way it is. Some things are true, and they're always true, and they're foundational, and they're below the surface of our culture. They're greater than it. Our culture, transient culture was built upon it, but it's shifting. And so Jesus said, Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Actually, it was in Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, I tell you that not one jot or one tittle will pass away from the book of the law, from the Old Testament until all of it is fulfilled. That's what Jesus said. And so people have argued, well, what is a jot and what is a tittle? Uh, I, I came across a great illustration that, that 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 states that the jot is really it's it's a it's a, a Greek way of saying yod, um, which is the letter in the Old Testament that was used that was written the most, thirty one thousand five hundred and thirty times. The tittle would be the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew tet, which is the letter that was used the least in the Torah, uh, one thousand eight hundred and twenty times. Now, how did Jesus know which letter was used the most and which was used the least? The scribes knew. And that's who he's talking to. He's saying, look, that whole thing, that Old Testament, that there was a purpose to that. There's a reason for that. It is the word of God, and it will all be fulfilled. It will all come to pass. And Jesus testifies to that, which brings us to the New Testament. How can we be sure the New Testament is true? Probably no other book is under enough as much criticism as the New Testament. Because honestly, when the, when the early church was, was writing these things and copying these things on their papyrus paper, um, we didn't have a geopolitical system in place with scribes and temples and tabernacles and all that kind of stuff. We were, we were meeting in, you know, uh, gymnasiums and cafeterias and underground and in prison and, you know, all kinds of... And so the way that it was copied was different. So we didn't have scribes sitting down looking at one version and copying. Uh, instead, we had we had a guy in the middle. The way they copied it is one scribe in the middle and twelve sitting around him, and he's reading it. And these twelve guys are writing what they're hearing. And so right off the bat, you got some problems because the, the the reader might have an accent. He might be from Alabama, you know. And it's like, what? What? Could you say that again? One more time, please. Slower. Uh, You know, and so you you have have inflection issues, you have accent issues, and then you just have the weirdness of written language. It doesn't always translate when you speak something. So when I say we ought to carry or we ought to bear our burdens to one another, some of you hear carry like bear burdens, carry it on your shoulder. Some of you hear bear burdens like you bear naked, like you expose your burdens to one another. Those are two different things. And so if I say that, someone's gonna say, yeah, we ought to expose our burdens and the other ones we ought to carry. Well, there's not a huge difference, but there's a small difference. And some of you are just weird, and you hear like an animal out in the woods that furry with long nails that you're trying to avoid, you know. Some of you heard Yanni and, and Laurel, you know, and that's just because you're hopeless. But it's just, you know, I mean, that's just like, that's the nature of language. And so, so often there were, there were errors. Actually, when King James assigned his Bible to be um, pulled together, that's when they gathered all the the scripts, the Greek scripts that they had at that time, which is about 5,800 scripts. And within those 5,800 scripts, there were about 400,000 errors. And that's where you hear people say, well, you can't trust the Bible because when they compiled all the different Greek manuscripts of the same New Testament, they found 400,000 errors. And that's true with regard to 5,800 copies. That works out to be about 72 errors per copy. But, but, but you think about 72 errors in the, in, in, within all of the words of the New Testament, 27 books of the Bible. That works out to be about 6%. So it's 94% accurate. And 3% of those are spelling errors or comma errors, or they put a period where they should have put a comma or semicolon. So you take out the grammatical errors, that's 97% accurate. That's crazy. You gather documents the earliest ones we have are dated about 130 a.d that's only about 100 years from the time that the events actually took place which is really rare in and of itself you've probably read homer's iliad um, in high school you had to read that it was written around 850 bc the oldest copy we have is 400 bc that's 450 years from the time supposedly this guy named homer wrote it to the earliest copy we have and so when, you're, when you talk about the Bible, there's actually a lot more evidence for the Bible than there is for Homer's Iliad. There's only 643 old copies of antiquity of Homer's Iliad. There's 5,800 from antiquity of the New Testament. And they agree nearly as much. Homer's Iliad agrees with 643, agree with each other at a 95% ratio. But nobody's like, I don't know if Homer really existed. I'm not sure that he actually wrote that. No, we understand that 95% is really good. And those errors are grammatical, and uh, it's not really a big deal. And the same is true with, with the New Testament. When they compiled them, they found that, it, and this is an enormous amount. This is like 2.9 million words. And you only, get, you, know, you only get that amount of errors from one guy reading to a bunch of other people writing stuff down. That's pretty amazing. So I don't know about you, but the Bible is treasure, but it, I think it can also be trusted. People say, well, it was written by humans. You know, the New Testament was written by a guy named Paul and Matthew and Mark. How can we tell that they're telling the truth? Well, you usually don't go to prison and die for stuff that you're just making up. You Know what I'm saying? Like it's one, usually like if you're making stuff up, it's cause you're trying to get rich, trying to get famous, trying to get powerful, trying to protect yourself. None of, these, none of those things happened for these guys. All 12 of the disciples of Jesus, original disciples, were brutally tortured and martyred with the exception of John the Beloved. He was just brutally tortured, not killed. He died of old age after he'd been boiled alive in oil. Like, you don't just make stuff up and then endure excruciating pain. Allow your children to be killed, your family to be killed for something you made up. Because at some point you're like, well, I guess this isn't working. <laughs> Let's just stop this gig. <laughs> I can go on to something else. You know? And, and it just doesn't make sense that they would make these things up. And so we have just, you know, uh, uh, archaeological evidence. We have logical evidence that this is actually the way things happen. And it also corresponds with even historical evidence. And so that's why I have to say this word can be trusted as well. It can be trusted. It, as the word of God, it can be trust that we can put our faith and our hope in it. But before, uh, before we really see any benefit of it, it has to be tried. You have to read it for yourself. Remember when we were at Promised Land, one guy was telling uh, me and Robin, he's like, yeah, uh, I, I, I love the Bible. That's, that's what they think preachers wanna hear. And um, so I, I just love the Bible. I sleep with it every night under my pillow. I put it right there, I just sleep with it. And we were like, you know, that doesn't help. Right? <laughs> like, um, you, like, I don't think your chiropractor is going to be too happy about that. Like, this is not, this is not helpful as a pillow. It's really seriously not helpful at all. Uh, it's, like, it's like trying to study for an exam, you know, and just sticking all of your notes under your head when you sleep. It doesn't work. You have to read it. You have to delve into it. You have to dig into it. You have to, you have to read it. And, w- and, and, and what I would say is you have to read it until it reads you. Like you, The goal is not to read the whole thing. The goal is to read it until something speaks to you. And when something speaks to you, then you stop reading. And that's when you meditate. And that's what Psalms 1 verse 1 says. Uh, it, it talks about the word um, of the Lord. Blessed is the man, it says, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the path of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law that's code for, for the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, of the Lord for scripture. And in his law, in his word, he meditates day and night. Uh, Eastern religions teach uh, meditation and the goal of their meditation is to empty yourself of everything. Just go completely blank. Christians also believe in meditation, but the goal is different. The goal is not to empty yourself of everything. The goal is to fill your mind with the word of God. And so some of you are wondering, how do I pray, right? How How do I pray? Well, this is real easy. You don't have to know any special words. You don't have to memorize anything. You just have to, even this scripture right here. You can just read this scripture, and if it jumps, if it speaks to you, your prayer can simply be meditating on this word. What does it mean? Those who, who blessed is the man who walks not, who doesn't walk, in the counsel of the, of the ungodly. That's counsel. That's that's the opinions. Who's not affected and swayed by the latest post or tweet or comment is not is not not walking according to the opinions of ungodly people or stands in the path of sinners that has to do with how you live your life where where, where are you standing where are you going Uh, nor sits in the seat of the scornful that has to do with your your overall outlook of life. where you're seated where are you sitting what's your vantage point but rather his delight do you treasure the word of God do you value the word of God And on his law, he thinks about it day and night. So I want to do a little exercise this week. Um, I don't want to have a big altar call. This is my altar call. Um, uh, I try to do this right here. I try to read the word of God. I try to think about the word of God so that I don't get caught up in the counsel of the ungodly. I don't get caught up in the opinions of everybody around me. And so I really want you to do this as well. And I really want my family, just speaking as a, as a dad, as a husband, I really want my kids, I want my wife to, to meditate on the Word of God, to, to think on the Word of God. So um, when I was a kid, my parents started something they called Wisdom Search. And what it is, is they open, uh, my dad would open the book uh, of Proverbs, which is like right around the middle um, of, your, of your Bible, the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And most uh, months have either 30 or 31 days, except February, which is rebellious. Um, but even then, it's less. And so, in other words, there is, a, there is a proverb chapter for every day of the month. Today's the 27th, so we would read Proverbs chapter 27. And the goal is to walk in the council, not of like ungodly, just random our culture, but the goal is to hear the voice of God, what God thinks about things. And what I love about Proverbs is it deals with all kinds of, of normal, practical things you're facing in your life. If you want to know how God wants you to handle your money, read Proverbs. If you want to know what kind of woman God wants you to marry, read Proverbs. If you want to know what kind of husband God wants you to be or to be with, read Proverbs. Um, now, you, you have to understand it's an ancient book, and so you have to apply it today in a different way. Every woman doesn't have to be sewing stuff all the time. But uh, but, but to understand God's perspective and what God values and what he loves, read Proverbs. And so um, I really want my kids to hear Proverbs. And so I've started this on, on again, off again, on again, off again. And so I've kind of been off for a while. And because um, I don't, I, I, I'm just like you, uh, you know, I don't read the Bible as much as I should either. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't read it to my family as much as I should. And I, I try, and I go in spurts, and then we kind of slack off and get busy, and then we on it, and then we slack off. And so, anyway, I've been slacking. So just confessing to you all. And so this week, I want to get back on track, and I want to do these wisdom searches with my family um, every night around dinner time. And so to keep me accountable, I'm going to ask you all to join with us um, through Facebook Live um, on on this venture. And um, what we'll do is we'll we'll set up I think around 5:30 or six, depending on how well dinner's going. We are kind of fluctuate here. Uh, how well the kids are behaving, maybe 6:30. We'll push it. I don't know. Um, but uh, if if you're in our Facebook group, um, we'll you'll see us. We'll go live in our Facebook group. If you're not in our Facebook group, just just fill out one of those cards and like give me your name and write Facebook on there, and I'll just Facebook stalk you and um, send you an invite to our to our our private group where we where where. It's it's not that private, actually. I mean, it's prayer requests and stuff like that. It's for everybody in City Chapel. Um, But this is a way to keep me accountable, keep me doing what I'm supposed to do. And it's also a way for you to join with us. And what we do is, um, uh, first, before we read as a family, um, I spend a little time reading it myself. I read through the chapter, and and I look for a verse that jumps out at me, that speaks to me. And I take that verse, and I draw that um, on on a whiteboard. Um, It's very primitive. You have to use your imagination. Um, but this is this is way my dad used to do it only he used to use a chalkboard and so I draw it and then we have a little competition Because um, you always got to have competition to make things fun And so the kids try to decide The kids try to guess first which verse it is and so they shout out You know this, uh, which if they think it's the right one Micah tries to cheat and says every verse is the verse um, It's not fair, but uh, Madden is quick to put him in his place because we are all about justice and, uh, and, then we, and then we read that, and then we, we do talk about that verse a little bit and why it sort of stuck out to me. It's nothing profound. It's nothing major. My dad's not a pastor, um, and this is something my dad was able to do. Uh, it's the Word of God. It's the Bible. It sort of speaks for itself, you know. Uh, you, this, this, this can help teach your family even if you're not a scholar or anything. And so that's what I do. So I want to invite you all to join us this week every night, Monday through Friday. Um, we're going to be getting together as a family, and we'll set up our phone um, at, our, at our dinner table and um, have you join along with us, do the wisdom, have your family do the wisdom search with us so that you can start doing that on your own. Um, because it's really, I mean, it's a great way to get uh, the Word of God down inside of you. And when it, when it gets down inside of you, at, especially at a young age, it just comes out of your life. It helps you. It, it's a filter. It's the, it's the glasses that you put on that you see the rest of the world through. And um, without it, you are wearing some kind of glasses, by the way. You are wearing some kind of filter. Um, and uh, I remember, uh, this is my last story before we close, but I remember um, uh, I was 21, and we were going on spring break with a friend of mine. Uh, we went to Myrtle Beach. Um, some of you, have anybody been to Myrtle Beach? Yeah, there are, they, when, once you get out of Texas, you find there are good beaches in the world. And, uh, <laughs> serious, And Myrtle Beach is a pretty good one. And uh, so we were going to Myrtle Beach, and uh, we were bringing a friend with, uh, it, was, it was my friend's friend. Um, who he had just recently led to the Lord like the guy just got saved and he was from Myrtle Beach and he's like I'm going back to my old stomping grounds and so we, we it was weird like we we drive all the way to Myrtle Beach and just before we get into town um, his name was Eddie not Eddie Jones but Eddie and and uh, Eddie actually he called himself Eddie love um, so take that for what you will um, so Eddie love said okay now I want to drive and so he he gets in gets in the car we had a little Volkswagen he pops his seat back rolls down all the windows and we're we're, we're thumping through through Main Street, like the main drag, you know, to the brick house. He could see 70s songs on it, you know. And we're just, we're, and I'm like, all right, it's not Kirk Franklin, but okay. And so we're, we're going through Main Street, and Eddie Love was funny, man. I mean, we're on the beach, and he's uh, focusing in on things that I wasn't necessarily focusing in on. And uh, there was one... There was one girl out playing in the water, and he's like, he's like, he's like Harry, this is how you do it. He, he brought a Frisbee. He's like, Harry, this is how you do it. So he went up, and he asked the girl to play Frisbee with, her, uh, with him. Um, so I, I guess he saw women sort of like puppies or something. You know, It's like you just kind of something, do something with them, and then they get interested in you. And I was like, I don't know if that's how it works, man. I, but Eddie Love was going to teach me some lessons. So Eddie Love goes out there. He's playing Frisbee with her. And, and, then, and, then, and then Eddie Love comes back, and he's kind of mad. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong, Eddie? He's like, well, she, wanted, she asked if, if you wanted to come play frisbee. Because I said, oh, okay. I said, all right. So, so I go out, I'm playing frisbee. I thought it was just frisbee, you know? And so anyway, we're, I'm like, well, it's time to go. It was good to meet you. I forget her name. And we're, we're leaving. And she's like, well, if you want to come over to my, my parents' like, place tonight, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, That's, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I said, no, really, um, can't do that. And uh, so, so Eddie's like, what'd she say? What'd she say? And I'm like, well, she invited me over to her parents, whatever. And I said, I'm not doing that. And he's like, dude, we'll drop you off. It'll be awesome. We'll pick you up in the morning. He's like, and I said, I'm not doing that, Eddie. He's like, well, why wouldn't you do that, you know? I said, have you ever read Proverbs 7? <laughs> like, seriously. It talks about the, the house of the immoral woman leads you to hell. I think it's proverbs 6 yeah no it's proverbs 7 the captivity of the harlot right there i mean dude this will scare the 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 hell straight out all the hell the bad stuff it'll it'll help you see things from god's perspective fine you know but eddie's thinking about his moment right now i'm thinking about something kind of bigger I'm thinking about the woman I'm gonna marry someday. I'm thinking about my vow to God. I'm thinking about my heart. I'm thinking about my calling. I'm thinking about my mind. I'm thinking about my eternity. I don't wanna go into her parents' house. It's not worth that. Unless you can give me something bigger than heaven, it's not worth that. And uh, and that's what the Bible does for you though. It sets up for you the groundwork, the, the base, the foundation by which you can base all of your other decisions. all of of your bad decisions, honestly, in life, I think ultimately comes down to the fact that you didn't know this well enough. Literally, it all comes back down to the fact that you just didn't know. And and, 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 And you might say, well, I didn't have the opportunity to know. No, you do, it's right here it's in your app on your phone it's it's on your shelf in your house and some of you come from a catholic background and and so you've been told you can't read the bible by yourself and i just want to dispel that and just let you know man you don't need a priest to come to your house and read the bible to you you can read it for yourself now now up until 1943 that is the stance of the catholic church and some of you were raised in kind of old school catholic church where they still held on to that belief The pope you know kind of changed his mind in 1943 but um but nowadays uh even the catholic church says you can read it by yourself like you can read this and understand it and the holy spirit can speak to you through it just you right where you're at i haven't read any of it great start with us tomorrow night six ish facebook live we're gonna read it all right sound good awesome well we need to we need to pack up and get on out of here i promise you a short sermon delivered on it come on where's the appreciation where's the appreciation ushers would you come forward we're we're gonna have a time of giving real quick for our regular members um and uh by the way we give because it's in the word of god